are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Before we get into the show, I just want to shout out the Locked On Fantasy Football podcast with Vinny Iyer. Uh, we just had him on the Locked On NFL podcast. I do that every Tuesday, so that's today with uh, Ross Jackson. Uh, I make fun of his Saints every Tuesday on Locked On NFL, so go check that out. We also talked to Vinny Iyer about some of his favorite uh, young breakout players, which he was also covering on the Locked On Fantasy podcast, doing a little series over there. So go check that out. I am your host, your pal, and the kitty copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. And today, you know what it is? It's Twitter Tuesday. That means it's a mailbag episode. So I'm answering your questions. If you want to get in on this in the future and you missed the boat, no worries. You can always send me a question anytime at Luke Braun NFL on Twitter or at Locked on Vikings on Twitter. Just at me, send me a message, send me an email at Locked on Vikings podcast at gmail.com. There's even a Google form that you can fill out that's linked in the show notes if you'd rather. But before we dive into the mailbag, a couple of quick notes, uh, pro football reference. I'm probably going to go into this in more detail later, but pro football reference, great website for like compiling all sorts of stats and stuff, uh, actually has completed like a 30 year project compiling all sack totals for pre-1982 football. And that is a, such a cool project. A, to get, you know, the the stats and results and footage and all that stuff from football in the, you know, 50s and 60s and stuff is just a really cool thing to have. But also, you know, sacks were only an official statistic from 1982 onward, which means we didn't have like sack totals for the Purple People Eaters or for a number of like the obscure greats of the 60s and 70s. And now we have that and we can see how, you know, Alan Page's career stacks up against like Reggie White's or whatever. Really cool stuff. I'm going to go into depth on it uh, at a later date, um, but some some super cool stuff. And the other, I guess, item of current events, I'm going to turn to the mailbag to answer because Cartel Kev asked, how accurate is Anthony Barr's comment on having a Super Bowl winning team? So Anthony Barr did an interview with Fox 9 where he talked about his expectations for 2021. They talked about, hey, you know, you're seven and nine. That's disappointing. Can you bounce back? And he said, I really do believe that we have a Super Bowl winning team this year. Obviously, there's a lot of steps to get to that point, And I've been through good seasons and bad seasons with this team. But every time we've had a tough year, we've always bounced back. I really feel like this year is going to be special. A lot of great optimism. And look, it is summer. This is the time for this. It's Vikings Homer summer, and there's nothing wrong with getting a little bit of hype going on. Um, But okay, how accurate is he that it's a Super Bowl winning team? I think in like, it depends on what you're trying to define a Super Bowl winning team as, right? If you say it is a team that in retrospect will have won the Super Bowl, and it's a difficult thing to predict, right? If we knew who that would be, uh, the the betting markets would probably lose a lot of money. Um, But if the Vikings are capable of winning a Super Bowl to that, I say, sure, why not? 
right? We'll talk. There's another question later in the mailbag about what needs to happen for the Vikings to get to that point. But for now, I say, sure, they can be a Super Bowl winning team. I think there's probably in any given season, six to eight Super Bowl winning teams. I don't know if the Vikings are a top eight team. I wouldn't be surprised to see them emerge as a top eight team in the 2021 season. I think they have the pieces to do that. But like Anthony Barr says, a lot of steps to get to that point. But I don't think he's like being ridiculous or like crazy, you know, way too high on himself. But on the other hand, you know, players kind of have to be that crazy. Um, you can't be an NFL player without having that sort of great, like ridiculous belief in yourself. So I know that's like a weird roundabout question to be like, how accurate is Anthony Barr? Look, when you're commenting on whether or not a team is a Super Bowl winning team, it's kind of impossible to be accurate or inaccurate. That's not exactly an objective thing to talk about. Landon Renley says, if the NFL added a team or two, what would an expansion draft look like? A lot of people talking about expansion drafts because of uh, the the NHL, obviously. Um, and So here's my pitch for an expansion draft for a team or two to the NFL. If you think about a fantasy expansion draft, and I am running a dynasty league right now and I'm organizing an expansion draft uh, so I'm. this is kind of on my mind. And basically what I'm trying to do is make it like a, a startup draft, but everybody's picking from their own players, aka protecting. So everybody starts in round one. They protect everybody protects one player and then the new team gets to pick last. So you all protect one player and then the new team picks theirs and then it's a snake draft. So they pick another player. So they get to poach two players after everybody protects one, and then the snake continues. So everybody gets to protect two from there, and you do that until the rosters are filled. And to help make it even, because of course the two teams that get poached from right away are, you know, if they get poached from again, they're kind of screwed. So if you get poached from, you get to protect a few rounds ahead of time. You get to do a little bit more protecting, um, and you kind of get to to move up a little bit and protect a few more of your own players. So I, I think that's a, a fair-ish way to do it. It sounds like the NHL is doing it a different way. I'm not familiar with it, but I'm going to take Tanishka's word for it, who asks, if the NFL had an expansion draft like the NHL, which 12 would you protect and why? So I'm just going to look at the roster and just riff on this. Um, I'm putting exactly no effort into this. I've thought about this none so far, um, but I'm just looking at the roster. I'm protecting Thielen and Jefferson for sure, Barr and Kendricks, Daniil Hunter. That gives me five. Uh, I'm going to protect Irv Smith. I'm going to protect Brian O'Neill. That gives me seven. Uh, we'll put Dalvin Cook on there. I'll probably protect Kirk Cousins. Vikings be in a pretty bad way if Cousins got poached, and he'd be pretty good for a startup team. Very, uh, you know, a veteran presence that gives you at least, you know, a known quantity, right? So I'm at nine. I've got three left. Oh, Harrison Smith, of course. Uh, I've got two left here, and I guess I should probably protect like some younger players, right? I'm I'm protecting guys like Thielen and and uh, Cousins and stuff. So I, I'm gonna go with Cam Dantzler just because I like Cam. I'm probably overrating Cam Dantzler by this point. That's fine. And Dalvin Tomlinson. I think from there, everybody else can probably get poached. Uh, you know, you can lose Tyler Conklin. You might lose CJ Ham. You might lose Pierce or Sheldon Richardson, but we're set up to weather that. Uh, you might lose like one of the corners, Patrick Peterson or Mackenzie Alexander would actually be kind of a tough loss. I might think about protecting him instead of Thielen just based on like age or you know, might lose like Xavier Woods. Uh, I actually would think about protecting Garrett Bradbury just because I kind of understand the cog that he is in the machine that is the Vikings. Um, but I, he would definitely be near the bottom of, of the protection list. Uh, but I think, I think I'm okay with that. I might switch out Adam Thielen for like Xavier Woods or somebody else, but 
I think I'm okay with the way that I put that down. Daniel Chase says, are you saying gramble and not gamble every time you do one of those reads? To which I say, let's get a grambling. If you want to get a grambling yourself and you want to bet on things like maybe the future of the Vikings, maybe you think they are a Super Bowl team. You agree with Anthony Barr, you can get in on them at plus 2,000. That means you're winning like 20 to 1 odds if you are actually right and you want to drop, you know, 10 bucks on that and see if you can get something or maybe a little more. You can go to betonline.ag. If you don't have an account there, it is fine. You are free to set one up and you don't have to pay anything for that there's no subscription fee or anything like that just go to betonline.ag make an account super easy and when you actually make your first deposit in your account for money to gramble with enter promo code locked on l-o-c-k-e-d-o-n and betonline will match 50 percent of your first deposit so that means if you put in 100 bucks you get 50 more on top of that to gramble with at betonline.ag your online sportsbook experts all right, so we are doing a mailbag episode Twitter Tuesday here on the Locked On Vikings podcast. The next question comes from MJ Burke, who asks, who is a prime candidate for the guy that is snuck onto the 53 just to stash him and prevent a practice squad swipe? The Jerusalemia honor. Uh, somebody who will not be bad uh, or who will not be good, but we expect him to be good later, right? And that is a ton of the rookies from the draft class, right? Janarius Robinson is not going to be good when he first begins. He just has a very limited skill set and a lot of things that he needs to learn from scratch. But he's like a freak athlete, right? He's a really good athletic prospect. So you want to hand you want to keep him. He's a fourth round pick and all that. So if if you cut a fourth round pick, he's going to get claimed on waivers. You don't want that. So I think Janarius Robinson's the the easiest uh, answer to that. A couple of less easy. I think Chaz Surratt also kind of falls in that category. He's only been playing linebacker for like 18 months. So he's going to get, he's got a little developing to do, but again, he's very athletic. He's very smart. A lot of teams are really high on him. You don't want to expose him to waivers. Um, I think a hot take would be Kellen Mond. Uh, again, you don't, definitely don't want to expose him to waivers. He was going to go before the end of day two. Um, and that means a lot of teams, you know, would be really excited to get a guy they had a round three grade on, on waivers. You don't want to expose that, but I don't know if he's good enough to make a team right now. I don't think he's supposed to be. Um, and I think, I I don't know. It's, it's a lot of the rookies that are kind of those raw project guys tend to get that honor. Kurt with two C's asks, do you think Richards Richardson spends any time at edge position opposite Hunter this year? Uh, if you used him anything like the Browns, then the question becomes, do you count four I as edge? Uh, and I think that kind of depends on what the front is and what gap you're asking them to attack or defend and all that stuff. And it gets kind of a weird question whether or not you count a four eye at as as edge. Uh, but the Browns had him line up as a four technique, meaning like either head up against the tackle, which is usually like an edge rusher, or head up against the tackle with an eye with an inside shade. Uh, and it. Whether or not you count that as a defensive tackle or an edge rusher is a question of semantics, but I do foresee that he spends some time at four technique or four eye counted as edge or don't. I do think that that'll happen. I don't know about like classic edge where you line up outside of the tackle. I don't think so, Um, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him anywhere. And he actually did rush pretty well from those four technique positions. So uh, we'll see. But it sounds like it's more of a just let's just make this rotation really strong kind of thing. Uh, And if you add up the money that ever that they're spending on all of those defensive tackles, that actually kind of makes sense. Drew Lock Enjoyer asks, given Mini Kubiak's past experiences and influences, what new schemes or play calls should we expect to see implemented and used more frequently? So the thing about 
about Kubiak is he doesn't have a lot. He was a QC assistant under Mike Sherman at Texas A&M. So maybe he's got a little bit of West Coast influence from that. Some of the more spread stuff It was really old school, though. You know, that was 2010, 2011. And by then, you know, the world had kind of passed Mike Sherman by. You might probably remember him most as the Green Bay head coach in some of the Favre years, the 2000, 2004 Favre years. He was with the Vikings for 2013 and 2014. Um, so he saw a little bit of the Norv Turner Air Coriel coat. Uh, stuff. He saw a little bit of the Bill Musgrave stuff, which is a little bit more dink and dunk, I guess. But the lion's share of his experience has been coming from Gary Kubiak. So I don't know if there's like a weird Mike Sherman wrinkle he's going to pull on his experience in the same way we kind of talked about Kevin Stefanski doing that, who had seen just about every scheme under the sun and had been like truly a part of the coaching staff during it. He was like a QC coach some other places and then he basically got like fast tracked to an OC job as the son of a legend is often going to do in the NFL. Uh, Kevin asks, as we go to training camp in person, what are your favorite battles to watch for? Definitely the left tackle battle. I'm going to keep talking about that a little more on tomorrow's show, I think, unless something breaks or I get a better idea. Uh, I'm excited. I'm always excited to watch the wide receivers. I know the wide receivers aren't exactly exciting players like BB and BC Johnson and like a bunch of undrafted free agents aren't exactly getting everybody's gears greased, but I always find it to be a fun competition. I think the corners will be really fun to watch as well. Uh, you know, Peterson, Breland, Cam Dantzler, Mackenzie Alexander, how do all how does all this fit together? You know, who plays what snaps outside and inside and all that stuff will be really fun. And I think the backup quarterback job is really interesting because right now Kellen Mond is not competing with Kirk Cousins. He's competing with Jake Browning. And in OTAs, he was losing, which is not a reason to panic or anything like that. We expected him to be raw, but that'll be an interesting thing to watch. Uh, Waka Waka says, do you think the shortened preseason will affect... Zimmer's overall preseason win percentage. I mean, insofar as there is one less game to win, and so that's obviously going to change the numbers. Um, but I, I don't know exactly which game gets cut. Everybody says, oh, the fourth game gets cut because it's their least favorite and it's the one they want to get cut. I don't think you cut the fourth game if you're a, a preseason coach. That's a really important game to help you round out your roster, to help you make decisions, informed decisions on who to keep on your team and who not to. That's really important. Um, I, I think the first game, is the one that I cut. And then the second game becomes your first game. So instead of your starters playing a drive, your starters play a quarter in the first game, they play a half in the second game, and they don't play it all in the third game. And so, I don't know, is Zimmer particularly good at winning the first playoff preseason game or whatever? I, I don't really know. Uh, Bird Fry asks, what is Nikhil Terry's trade value? Uh, that is probably really low. Uh, Nikhil Harry is not doing, was not doing well in camp at all. He was losing his camp battles to like guys you haven't heard of. Um, there is this sort of cycle that first round bust type players always go through. We saw with Treadwell and stuff. He's currently, uh, Nikhil Harry is currently in the, uh, working with a retired player guru part. He's working with TJ Hushmanzada, according to Josina Anderson tweeted that out on, on Monday. Uh, and so he's going through like that part of it. I don't know. I wouldn't give up more than a sixth for him. Uh, right now, I, I think he's just kind of, I don't know, he's first round busting, man. It happens. Before we get too much deeper into the next questions, I want to shout out Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the planet. If it's late night and you're trying to indulge in something that would totally ruin all of the great work that you have done on your body, if you're trying to lose or maintain weight, look no further than a Built Bar. You can indulge that craving. You can trick your body into thinking that it's cheating. It's a cheat day, but it's not a cheat day. No, no, because Built Bars are low calorie, 
low sugar, uh, low in carbs, high in protein, high in fiber, and they're delicious. They come in nine delicious flavors like cookies and cream and chocolate raspberry, peanut butter, brownie, all sorts of decadent things, and even some specialty flavors if you keep an eye on their website. That is BuiltBar.com. Go to BuiltBar.com, buy a box for yourself, try it all out, and enter promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, you get 15% off of your next order. That's promo code LOCKED15 at BuiltBar.com. Continuing on with the mailbag, we have one from GM, JMS Equit to ask, what is the best case scenario for this season? What would have to go right and what would have to not go wrong? Uh, it's kind of the same question, right? So best case scenario, obviously a Super Bowl. What has to go right for a Super Bowl? I think the key thing, the most important thing to go right for a Super Bowl is Kirk Cousins putting together good games in January. He needs to get on a good streak. Kirk Cousins is a streaky quarterback and he needs to be on one of the hot ones in, you know, late in the season. Um, and I, I think that is something that I am skeptical that that's like the thing I'm most skeptical of is like, if that's possible, you need to have Kirk Uary and not Kirk Tober, like you had Kirk Tober a couple of years ago. You need that in January. Um, of course you need the, you know, regular facets of luck. You need decent injury luck. You know, you need a couple of bounces here and there. Every Super Bowl team has that. Um, and I, otherwise I think you just need, you know, players to play up to the expectations we have to them. And that's, you know, higher for some than it is for others. But otherwise, you know, then I think it's just a matter of like the, the way I view the Super Bowl and do you have a winning Super Bowl winning team is do you have a team that is above this like I don't know, threshold I have in my mind of like how good the team is. And then from there, the chips fall where they may. And if the, you know, you don't have a threshold that only one team passes in the season because the best team doesn't always win the Super Bowl. So what, uh, you know, what threshold did the Bucks pass that say the Packers didn't last year or the Chiefs last year? They didn't win the Super Bowl, but the Bucks did. Is there some key difference that only the Bucks have that also they happen to have in common with every other Super Bowl winning team? No, that's just not how it works. All of those teams were good enough to win the Super Bowl. Only one gets to at a certain point. You just play it out. And I think the Vikings can be that. Will they be that or will they start out, you know, one in three and we're panicking or whatever? I don't know. Maybe that that's just as likely. Uh, uh, but I think for what needs to go right, look, get me nine and eight and a seven seed. If you get Kirk Tober Kirk, I think you got a chance. Uh, Gabrielle Greco asks, do you think Cialini deserved player of the tournament instead of Donnarumma? Uh, sure. Uh, Ted Glover asks, if you were an actual Viking, what would your weapon of choice in battle be? An axe or a sword? I would choose fear and I would cower and I would run away. I would be a terrible Viking. I gritty like Kirk asks, would you cut your ca your hair like Kenny Willekes did when he had the Viking style hair if it guaranteed the Vikings to win the Super Bowl? I mean, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Easily. Uh, Joe says, who on the Vikings would rival Joey Chestnut in a hot dog eating contest? Probably Jordan Scott. I think would be a good one. It, I only say that because, I mean, he has all, talked a lot about how he's a big guy and he likes to eat. Give me like Michael Pierce, you know, any one of those big old nose tackles. Uh, Tic Tac Titans, host of Locked On Titans, by the way, if you have any Titans fan in your life, uh, you know, it's a show just like this one, but for the Titans, asks, do you think Kellen Mond starts after the bye or it happens earlier. Uh, buddy, Tyler, I love you. He ain't starting this year. Uh, Forrester asks, who let Cars 2 happen? The unending march of late capitalism. Nicholas Bartels asks, 
with all of these storyline with all of these story time players in the current series i feel you have given me unrealistic expectations for this vikings team and i find myself feeling like everyone is going to be amazing how do i manage these expectations so the story time series if you haven't been listening is a series that i've been doing detailing the backstories of every player on the vikings who has joined within the last two years and the point of those stories, and, and I definitely get where you're coming from, because those stories often talk about those players while they're in high school or college. And look, if you made it to the NFL, you didn't make it to the NFL by being okay in high school. And if you did, then damn, that's a crazy story. And there are a couple like that. But for the most part, it's like, yeah, and he was this crazy three-star athlete and colleges were fawning over him. And he was huge and he bowled everybody over and he was better than everything in the whole world in high school as a prep. That, you know, that's what you get. If you have an NFL athlete as a prep and you're not one of those blue blue chip schools like Creighton Durham Hall is in Minnesota, then yeah, of course, it's going to be like remarkable. And then once you get to the NFL, it's less remarkable because that's all those blue chip preps have made it to the NFL now. And I think that's how you temper your expectations. Every single player has a story like that. And honestly, that's the reason I do the Storytime series. A, because it is a pretty good place to get some interesting things to talk about during the dead period of the offseason. But a lot of it is just, I don't know, the the like life lesson that I've taken from doing this the Storytime series is that everybody's got something interesting if you ask the right questions. Um, you know, I think back to the interview I did with Dylan Mabin a couple weeks ago on this show, and, and I kind of was asking him, like, well, when did you first pick up a football? Everyone's answer to that is interesting. Whether it's, you know, oh, I was, you know, since I was young, I grew up in a football family where we were huge Oregon Ducks fans. Or it's, well, I didn't even know really about football until I saw a game here and, you know, I was 15 and I asked my dad for permission. Like everything, Fadio Denebos is one of my favorite where he basically bet his dad football if he could get his grades up. And he said, if I get my grades up, you let me play. And his dad was like, okay. And he said, and he did it. Um, and he didn't start playing football till his sophomore year. That is always a good question. And it's always an interesting answer. There's always an interesting answer to when did you realize that you were going to be able to make it to the NFL if you worked at it? And again, for some people, that was when they were three years old and they were playing around in the backyard with their big brother and it was a dream since they can remember. And for some people, they were in college and they were like, well, this was just kind of an avenue to a scholarship, but hey, I'm kind of good at this. I might declare for the draft next year. And all of those answers are interesting and worth talking about and detailing. Um, and so, look, you feel like everybody's going to be amazing? You're right. They're NFL players. The problem is everybody is amazing on the other side of the field too, and that's how you temper your expectations. But if you have a greater appreciation for just how elite every NFL player is at playing football, I think that that enriches your experience, and I think you're in a pretty good... You're you're like really close to getting that, that nirvana that just will make you appreciate football so much more. Uh, Rasta Pasta asks... Kirk Cousins ran for president. Who would be his pick at VP? And why is it Justin Jefferson? Um, yeah, Justin Jefferson would be like really charismatic and would really like win the people over. You know, he's a man of the people, Justin Jefferson. He would really, really get people going. And I think that's what Kirk Cousins needs. You know, he's real milk toast. He's really, uh, he's kind of a little awkward. He's like not a guy that's going to get the people rallied up. Maybe Dalvin Cook would do this too. Or, you know, one of the many jokers in the wide receiver or cornerback room, like Amir Smith-Marset's kind of a joker. Uh, uh, Watt Filer's kind of a joker. Uh, give me Chris Boyd, you know, one of those guys that can be the the char charismatic face of the campaign while Kirk Cousins is the all-business, you know, 
like responsible choice. Uh, Joe Green asks, does Derisaw have to pass Hill to start? Or does the fact that he's younger with higher upside give the Vikings incentive to try to get him in there sooner? If it's even close to try to get to said upside sooner. Um, so I, I like this question. It talks about what we talked about yesterday. I talked about Derisaw versus Hill. So if you missed that, go check that out. Um, but basically where we came away from that one is that, look, Right now, from what we saw in college, Derisaw has some things he has to fix before he's better than Rashad Hill. He could fix that over a training camp. He could fix that over a season. And it all kind of just depends on how long it takes for that stuff to go. Things like he probably doesn't know the playbook as well as Rashad Hill, who's been on the team for years. Uh, you know, things like just acclimating to NFL intensity and all that stuff, classic rookie stuff and his effort issues and stuff that could be fixed very fast or they could never be fixed at all. And we kind of just have to say we don't know. We have to wait and see. Um, but I think what what Joe is getting at is this idea that, oh, you've got this like young player that needs to learn. Well, you got to put him in the, the game. You know, they're not going to learn anything on the bench. And I think you have to remember that they're not on the bench, but for Sundays. Sunday is the only day they spend all on the bench. Otherwise, they come to work every single day and they play with the twos and you can learn with the twos and you can display skills with the twos. And then they're going to take that tape of, 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 you know, you against whoever the second, you know, Patrick Jones or whoever and, you know, one-on-ones against Patrick Jones or whoever, and they're going to watch your footwork and they're going to watch your hand technique. They're not just going to look and say, oh, he beat Patrick Jones a whole bunch or he didn't beat Patrick Jones a whole bunch because obviously you bring in a bunch of strength of competition issues if you're doing that on the twos, but they're going to watch your technique. They're going to watch, did you get the right assignment? Did you block the right guy on that play? And as soon as the the answers to those questions are positive often enough, then you start to consider making that switch um, but no, I don't think it's ever wise to put a worse player on the field for the sake of some long-term goal. Put the best players you can on the field, and we can argue about who those are or how that configuration, but you've got to put the best configuration on the field, and we just have to wait for Derisaw to be that guy. Uh, and we're going to talk more about the other offensive line battle. I want to talk more about Wyatt Davis and what he needs to do to overcome Dakota Dozier. And I kind of want to add some detail and some specificity to why Dakota Dozier was the disaster that he was. We kind of all agree that he was bad, but what was he bad at specifically? You know, I think that's worth a study. So I'm going to go tear my eyeballs out and watch a bunch of Dakota Dozier tape and talk to you about it uh, either tomorrow or later in the week. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at NFL. I might post some clips. You can also find the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. You can go to Locked on Today, wherever you find your favorite podcasts, where you can get under 20 minutes, a great roundup of everything going on in the whole wide world of sports hosted by Peter Bukowski, who I bullied a lot on Locked on NFL about his Packers and the doom that they face. Uh, so go listen to that. You can listen to me razz him a whole bunch. That's up today. Locked on NFL podcast as well. I will see you all tomorrow. And as always, skull.